welcome to Harvest Birth Stories, where we support mamas pre, post, and during birth. My name is Sophie Grace, and I will be your host for this podcast. We want to share empowering birth stories across the United States and beyond, and encourage mothers all around the world to feel proud and empowered by any story that they may have experienced. Let's get into the podcast. Thank you for listening. Just let's kind of just dive right into like who you guys are and like give us a little backstory about your journey into pregnancy. Yeah, totally. And if you hear a little squeak, we uh-huh. have baby Emma with us right now. <laughs> um, your microphone's like falling, but that's fine too. You know, it's chill, Jana. It's so chill. <laughs> um. So my name is Jana, and my husband Kyle and I have been married for eight years. Um, we started trying to get pregnant um, in August of 2019, <laughs> and so, and then we just had our our baby. Now, finally, our first one in uh, June of 2023. And there she is. <laughs> and there she is. She's waking up. So, um. Yeah, so when we started trying, I guess we'd probably, we've been married, I think, like, five years, four years, something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where, yeah, you just don't know. So you just... Naively go yeah. into it. <laughs> yeah, you just go into it and you're like, well, I could be pregnant or maybe, a, like, in a in one try or I could... Uh, I could, uh... She laughed at you. <laughs> yeah. She's like, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it could be one of those things where you just, it happens right away, or maybe I can't have kids, you know, and you mm-hmm. just don't know, and I think that's why we do get so anxious as, you know, women or people when we're trying to get pregnant. It's, you just don't know what the future holds, so you're mm-hmm. just wondering all mm-hmm. the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, so we kind of were just trying and then uh obviously in march of 2020 COVID happened and i would say at that point it got to be like pretty tough because you know it was a very isolating time for a lot of people and then when you you know you've been trying for six months at that point or yeah even longer and so then you kind of start to like wonder and you're just kind of alone with your thoughts all day and then it seemed like everybody was getting pregnant during that time for obvious reasons yeah for obvious reasons (laughs) people were home and bored and a lot of people got pregnant so that was probably hard to like watch that all yeah unfold too yep and you know people don't really know you're trying obviously and so I think that's also can make it hard because you know, people make comments and, you know, ask when you're going to have kids. And, mm-hmm. and that's such like a personal thing. And that's really tough, mm-hmm. you know, when you are trying. And Yeah, not like out of, like they don't, yeah, like, a lot of people don't mean to do it in yeah. a bad way. But it just, if you don't understand or know, it probably is like a jab a little bit. Yeah, for yeah. sure. 
and you you don't feel like they're close enough to know that you are trying <laughs> but <laughs> yeah we've been trying don't you worry <laughs> don't you worry <laughs> um so i think in that first year of trying that's definitely really hard because you just feel very alone mm -hmm. and like not very many people really know at all and, mm -hmm. So, but after a year, we went to the fertility clinic, and um, so we met with them, and then the first thing was they did an ultrasound, and at the appointment, so Kyle wasn't there, he was working, that's my husband, and then, uh, so I was there alone, it was the first, you know, appointment besides our consultation, and, you know, right away they found kind of what they thought was the problem, and I remember you know, the doctor coming in and it's kind of this like old kind of gruff guy, <laughs> which looking back, he maybe wouldn't have been the best one to talk to me about this. But um, he came in and he was like, well, you have um, endometriosis. You have like these huge, they're called endometriomas, but basically mm -hmm. like huge cysts on mm -hmm. your ovaries. And he's like, we think that's why you guys haven't gotten pregnant. And so we um, you're gonna have to have surgery so it was like I went from like the first appointment to being like you need to have a surgery and it was yeah pretty overwhelming did, did you think before this appointment that you had endometriosis just based on your like periods and stuff because um, I mean I mean when we fast forward to <laughs> other things it was compared to endometriosis a lot yeah um I think I wondered because I don't know I always thought periods were awful but you also just have no idea like if you just assume everybody else is like the probably same. in the same amount yeah. of pain as you because yeah. everybody thinks they're awful yeah I mean they, they are yeah <laughs> but yours are exceptionally awful yeah and sometimes when people have endometriosis they don't necessarily have that and it, it's not necessarily a predictor like how much pain you're in doesn't necessarily predict how Mm -hmm. bad your endometriosis is mm -hmm. um but yeah for me like my first period like the first usually day of my period I'm pretty much like kind of yeah immobile really mm -hmm. and just like taking the max amount of painkillers all day and laying mm -hmm. on a heating pad and just mm -hmm. trying to get through that day mm -hmm. and if I ever you know had to work on that first day or you know do anything it's yeah, pretty terrible. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, so no, I I mean, the only way I think to diagnose endometriosis is to find it. Like it's kind of a vague mm -hmm. thing too. So after he told you that, we'll go and just <laughs> keep going from there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We scheduled the surgery for pretty much right away because I just didn't want to have to keep thinking about it and mm -hmm. having it hang over my head. So, um it, I, I think it was like a week later or maybe 10 days later like it was very quick mm -hmm. and um just like a laparoscopic you know procedure I was also like pretty terrified because you know like having never gone under mm -hmm. <laughs> that was kind of scary and it was very random or just like yeah quick yeah yeah and so anyway so we we did the surgery it went well uh, when they did the surgery they actually were able to do another thing they do for fertility testing is they actually do this really painful like outpatient procedure where you go in and they put like dye through your fallopian tubes and then like x-ray to see if your tubes are open 
And since I was already under for surgery, they mm. just did it while I was under. Oh, nice. You didn't have to go through Yeah. <laughs> so I was so thankful for that because I had heard from other mm. um, gals how terrible that one was. Yeah. So I was really glad, obviously. So when they did the surgery, they did it, and they said that they couldn't get any dye to go through my right tube. Mm. So another reason for perhaps some infertility. That one was, like, closed. Yeah. Yep. And so the uh, kind of like the blessing in disguise about having endometriosis as a diagnosis mm -hmm. is that it is one of the only infertility diagnoses that insurance pays for totally oh, yeah because it's it's a like a health thing it's not just infertility right it's yeah. actually mostly health <laughs> right instead of it just being like yeah you know unknown. Right. I feel like there's yeah. a lot of people who just have unknown infertility. Right, which it was like, you know, I think the bill was like 23000 for the surgery. Mm -hmm. And we didn't have to pay it all for it because mm -hmm. it was all covered. So right. that was like kind of a huge blessing also mm -hmm. just to have that. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so, um, yeah, so after that, they're kind of like, well, you guys can try, you know, once you're healed up and stuff. And um, unfortunately, like, right after that i got a urinary tract infection mm. and i kind of had been susceptible to them in the past um but it just kind of started this whole like crazy health thing where i was i would get a urinary tract infection you know and then i'd take antibiotics and then like get a yeast infection secondary mm. because just of the like antibiotics a, a cascade of yeah and things and then once you kind of start doing all that i think you're just your body just gets so thrown out of whack mm -hmm. and for, and I don't know why it was, but for whatever reason, like, I just had, like, chronic pain. And I don't know, they just couldn't really, like, figure out, you know, like, sometimes I'd go in and have infections and sometimes they just couldn't find anything. And mm. they just couldn't really figure out, like, why I was in pain. still feeling like I had infections, even though, Weird. you know, it wasn't showing up. And yeah. so we did, you know, a ton of doctoring that whole w winter, I guess. and that whole year and I don't know it was just like that was kind of like the year two of infertility was like not even being able to try which is actually worse than <laughs> you know being able to try um but and then just like being in pain so we actually I was kind of like pretty much willing to try anything especially like when you're in pain every day you just like realize like man, if I just felt healthy, like life would be good, you know? Yeah. And so you just like realize like, oh man, like I take my health for granted all the time, you know? Right. Yeah. Like just feeling good. And yeah. So we went down a lot of like, really, I was pretty much willing to try anything to feel better. So I started just like learning a lot more about um, just like natural health. Mm-hmm. I worked at a chiropractor office at the time, so, you know, I was already kind of had a foot in the door with chiropractic stuff, but, um, you know, I, I ended up in the summer finally going and seeing this, uh, this chiropractor um, who was, like, well-known for being really great with infertility mm -hmm. and, and just, like, weird things, mm -hmm. and she she did a lot of tests, and I probably couldn't tell you what they were. It was quite <laughs> wild. <laughs> But um, I think one of the things is like called muscle testing mm. where they put uh, like a little vial of whatever like gluten 
in your hand and then they try to like push your arm down and then if you're you know and you like you can't hold your arm up if it's like an intolerance thing for you weird yeah it's like really crazy um so never heard of that yeah (laughs) never heard of that yeah it's it's wild to look it up so i went to a gal um who is like well known for being really great with all that and um so she did all that testing it was like a three-hour appointment and then she like gave me all these supplements you know to take i was taking like 13 pills a day (laughs) and and then you know she based on the testing it was like you have a sensitivity to gluten and to dairy but not cheese Mm -hmm. and then to i think it was high fructose corn syrup Mm. so um So basically that whole, it was like a period of like four months. I went on this crazy restrictive diet of no gluten, no dairy, and no sugar, Mm. (laughs) which is insane. Like if you ever have to eat that way. That is very hard. It's so hard. Yeah. And the first 60 days were just like terrible. But then once I hit like the first two months were done, all of a sudden I felt amazing. Mm. And anyway just like slowly over time just doing all that and I was doing acupuncture too and just also still doctoring and you know just doing all those things like finally at the end of that year it was like I felt better so a year after my surgery I went back to the fertility clinic Hmm. and you know and again like I hadn't been feeling great so we really hadn't tried much at all that year Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it was like we kind of had just lost a year to Mm -hmm. this whole like episode Mm -hmm. and um anyway so we went back and we were ready to go and so we started something called IUI which is intrauterine insemination Mm -hmm. and it's um pretty non-invasive basically at the start of your cycle they do an ultrasound and then they have you take this drug called Mm -hmm. for five days and it's actually a drug for breast cancer Mm. (laughs) but um it it makes your uh, ovaries like grow a lot of follicles. Mm. And so, and then they kind of have you come back mid cycle and they check again and make sure they don't want too many follicles growing because they don't want to give you like quadruplets. <laughs> you <laughs> know, just talking about how terrified I am to have uh, twins. Yeah. Ever. <laughs> yeah. They're like, we actually don't want to give you multiples at all. We just want like <laughs> one good leading follicle. Um, and then at the end, you know, then you take like a trigger shot and then yep. go in and then they, they do like a sperm sample and just put it right at the top of your uterus. So mm-hmm. it's basically like Pretty, what they do for cattle. Yeah. Like <laughs> literally. That's all I can think about when people talk about doing IUI. I just think of like cat, like if anybody's listening, Jana and I grew up in, in the agriculture world. <laughs> so I just think of the big glove that they wear yeah. to artificially inseminate cattle. <laughs> no big gloves involved for humans, but yes. <laughs> a anyway. big shoulder glove. <laughs> yeah. No, so um, yeah, pretty like non-invasive. The hard thing about IUI is the letrozole can make you feel pretty rough, mm. um, just like those five days. So for me, I would always have at least one day where I just felt like just like really bad headache or like like hungover. Yeah, like just like kind of like Icky. migraine status, like headache. And yeah. one time I had it where it was like three days straight of it, but that's like one of the common side effects of mm-hmm. it. And then 
I would also usually have a day where I would be like chilled body aches and like laying in bed the whole day and wouldn't have a fever but just feel awful like Mm -hmm. that so just messes with you yeah again just really tough stuff (laughs) Mm. so that was probably the worst part of IUI and then um if we got to the mid cycle because of my right tube being closed um if we got to the mid cycle appointment and I was ovulating on the right side uh, they would not do IUI that much. They would just because it wouldn't be, like, right. be worth it. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because they were like, we don't want to waste your money. Right. You know, there's a chance. Your time, your money, your body. <laughs> right. Right. So they're like, we'll just wait until the next cycle and try again. Mm-hmm. But again, that was really tough for me because I just lived through five days of taking letrozole. <laughs> right. So it was always like pretty disappointing to go in and be like. How many times did you do that? Um, okay, so we did, I think it was eight months of trying to do IUI, and we only got to actually do it four times. Still, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, and something I didn't know um, about it was I always thought your your ovaries took turns, like, mm-hmm. on either side, ovulating. It's totally random. And it's totally random. So, yeah. like, you could go in, and two months in a row, it would be ovulating on the right side. And then it, it always seemed like, for whatever reason, my right ovary was just way more of a producer than my left. Probably because it was figure. just blocked up. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing can come out. <laughs> right. Go figure. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, it was just, yeah, just like a tough thing. And once, and this is kind of standard across the board, but once you've done at least three IUIs, then insurance companies will cover some of IUF, IVF. IUF. Yeah, IUF. <laughs> IVF. And so um, once we had hit three IUIs, then our provider was like, well, so listen, you guys could actually do IVF. Mm -hmm. And when you do IUI, I think they had told us, you only actually have like an 11% chance of getting pregnant. Like it's actually Mm -hmm. not that high. I know a couple people who have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, like some people it happens and then some people, you know, whether they... Like, I think Kyle had a friend who they did IUI like 13 times and got pregnant. Like, but I was like, I don't want to live through. That is so long. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a lot to go through. Yeah. And then even not to mention just like the emotional turmoil of like every month kind of getting your hopes up and then finding out, oh, we can't even do it, mm-hmm. you know. And it was just like a lot emotionally on me to be going through that. And so it was like March when they first started talking to us about that. And we were kind of like, yeah, that would be, you know, so we were kind of talking about it and I didn't really know right away. And anyway, we finally decided um, that we wanted to try IVF because with IVF, they give you a 50% chance of being pregnant, Mm -hmm. which I can't believe it's that low. Mm -hmm. I always would have thought, you know, it would be higher, but that's literally like a coin toss, you know, it's like. The only thing in life, I think, where you could, like, spend that much money and (laughs) only have a 50% chance of success. Yeah, so it's still hard. They're probably being very, like, generous, too, so that they're not getting your hopes up. Right, right. And people pissed at them. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. So, again, that was like, wow, okay. So it's a better, you know, it, it could be a better thing. And then also I was just, like, really tired of the whole cycle and, um I don't know I think just like the hope of trying something different is pretty real Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. 
And so I, I don't know. I kind of almost wish we would have done it sooner, but you know, that was, shoulda, coulda, woulda. There was a lot of things that had to happen before mm-hmm. that, you know. And so anyway, um, so yeah, so we we decided to do IVF. And another thing I didn't know is there's like a wait list because mm. of course they can only do so many couples mm-hmm. every, you know, like a month, mm-hmm. I guess. And so the soonest we could do it was July and it was like April when we decided to do it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, well, if we don't, if we're not doing it till July, then, you know, we could try IUI one more time, you know, or actually I think we did two more mm-hmm. after that. Cause it had only been the three. Um, so we did April and May, we still did IUI and then the one month we couldn't do it. And then May we did it. And I was just like holding out hope, you know, that mm-hmm. that would be it and we wouldn't have to do IVF. And then we found out we weren't pregnant and, you know, so then we were like, okay, so in June we're going to start all the meds and then July will be IVF. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so we uh, did all that and um, I guess like it was pretty cool because um I think one of the things holding us back was like the financial piece Mm -hmm. and that was something that we had like kind of prayed about and we're like if we should do IVF we definitely need to like get the money Mm -hmm. (laughs) and because they don't do like payment plans or anything like you have to like pay it all up front even before you start IVF that's wild and um I think they told us without insurance IVF is like thirty some thousand dollars and then but just depending on what your insurance covers. Um, so I think for us, it ended up being like around like $16,000. So it's a lot of money Even just for insurance. like a young couple to like yeah. fork up just up for front. a 50% chance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so that's like pretty tough. Whereas like IUI is pretty affordable. Right. Because it's just monthly and you know. Right. Whatever. Like the six, and you think about it, like the, you think about the 50% chance probably a lot too. Cause you're like, okay, $16,000 to have a baby is worth it yeah but sixteen thousand dollars to hopefully have a baby is so hard to wrap your head around yeah and then of course you know people who have done multiple rounds of IVF Mm -hmm. without success so you're like is it going to be sixteen thousand or is it going to be more you know yeah and so anyway so um Kyle had started kind of his own business um like that fall and so as an entrepreneur, you know, it takes a while Mm -hmm. to get where you're fully funded. Mm -hmm. And then I have my own business. And so that was kind of just like where we were. Mm -hmm. Um, And the beauty of being an entrepreneur, we were also just talking about this, (laughs) is that, you know, sometimes you can like pick up more work or you can ebb and flow. Yeah. Ebb and flow, like feast or famine. Mm -hmm. And when we started talking about IVF, it was kind of a famine. And then um we were kind of like well that's one of the things like if we don't have the money to do it then that's kind of a no you know mm-hmm. and in those few months it became like feast where we got all the money we needed and Worked we're like all lot. right <laughs> yeah Worked your butt off. Let, let's do it yeah um and the other really great thing so I actually I do weddings that's kind of how I know Sophie mm-hmm. um I film weddings and so the other really great thing is for some reason it worked out this way where we had June and July, no weddings booked. 
like we had tons of weddings in the spring and tons of weddings in the fall mm -hmm. but like kind of nothing in the middle and that's like when I needed to do all the mm -hmm. IVF things yeah I'm just thinking back to last year I saw you in May yep and that was like right before yep and it was just so funny because you were just blasting me with like <laughs> baby breastfeeding questions and I was like why is she asking me so many questions <laughs> yeah no that's crazy yeah it's just I so think... crazy to think about yeah just all the I think that we had found out we weren't pregnant at that point so we mm -hmm. knew we were doing IVF mm -hmm. um yeah anyway so it was just it was definitely like a wild journey but the fact that like all of that lined up and worked out mm -hmm. was just so cool you know mm -hmm. and so it made it so that we were able to do it because filming weddings or f taking pictures at weddings is such a physical job and you kind of need also emotional job. yeah like it's really hard to like put your feelings aside to like be happy for other people when you're not happy yeah or when you're like upset about something like that's so hard yeah when it's like the only thing on your mind yeah for sure I think it was also like really nice to have such an all-consuming job because it was like a great just keep your mind off of it yeah like you could kind of just throw yourself into your work and like mm -hmm this is something I'm really enjoying kind mm -hmm. of thing. So it was kind of nice in that way though as well. So you did IVF in July? Yep. And so you kind of start everything. The um, before, right? And do all yeah. the timed shots. Yep. And... Yep. Oh. Which was like pretty overwhelming because they give you this gigantic like shopping bag at the pharmacy. <laughs> and you're like, of drugs. It's you're so like, scary. Here you go. <laughs> uh, and actually our first injection was July 1st. And so, of course, we had gone to our family lake cabin for the 4th of July mm -hmm. for, like, the very first night I was supposed to give myself all these shots, you know. And so I had to pack everything that I would need for, like, this long weekend. But I Did didn't they even... know, like, your family? Um, yeah. They, they knew. They it's knew kind that. of hard to be secretive, I feel like, about IVF. Yeah. Yeah. With close people anyway. Yeah. We, we had told both of our, like, immediate families. Yeah and close friends so, so everybody you were you're shooting up yeah <laughs> yeah in the bathroom <laughs> yeah but yeah it was just like so much to be like yeah trying to pack and you don't even know what you need and you're like have all these meds and mm -hmm. you're just like I'm so overwhelmed so I remember that being like I remember crying and just being like uh Kyle I don't know what to pack I don't want to screw it up because you literally can't screw it up like yeah you can't like five minutes like it has to be like mm -hmm. on yep and, and in the right spot right super deep and like correct yep. and they, they give you they like show you what to do in the clinic and then they also like send you links to tutorial videos so you kind of like okay and then of course after you do it a couple days it's easy you know but like I would barf probably every time <laughs> I hate shots yeah the first the first time you're just like oh, you're getting your word. epidural I think I was green were you? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't see your face. It's also like middle of the night, but we'll get into that later. Yeah, yeah, no later as we're already probably like, um, let's see, like, yeah, something minutes into this. Sorry, I'm being a little slow here. Okay, I'll so you did IVF in July, and you yes. found out you're pregnant after that. Yes, yes, yes. So this um, is Janice's journey. <laughs> in October, so. We scheduled our transfer at the end of September because of weddings. Mm. 
because I wanted to be able to just like relax and be done with mm-hmm. the majority of our weddings mm-hmm. when I got pregnant because I mean you just don't know if you're gonna be sick mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. first trimester so mm-hmm. the kind of the bulk of our weddings were done by September mm-hmm. so scheduled our transfer for the end of September mm-hmm. and then we found out we were pregnant um October 3rd mm. and so that was crazy um yeah and I I actually surprised Kyle mm-hmm. uh he with IUI you had to wait 14 days mm-hmm. to kind of test you told me this yeah you lied to him yeah and then <laughs> so he thought that and then with IVF they have you come in for a blood test after 10 days mm-hmm. so he wasn't expecting to be able to find out for four more days mm-hmm so he was like so shocked when I told him because he just didn't think that I could know yet. Mm-hmm. So anyway, it was that the was video fun. is really cute. Yeah, maybe I'll I'll link it when I post <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, so um, that was really really special. And then I think just like for a while, it took it honestly took like several months of being pregnant for it to sink in. Right, because you probably don't even like you felt pretty good. I did. Most yeah, most of your pregnancy. Yeah, and so. It's like that mind-body connection. If you feel good, you're like, am I pregnant? Yeah. Until you, like, have a bump, which you don't show for a long time the first time. Right. hmm Yeah, so you, when you do, so, like, a week before your transfer, you start progesterone shots, um, and then you do it for, uh, it's, like, 11 weeks or something. Mm-hmm. So it's quite a while, um, and that's probably the worst part of IVF is the progesterone shots. They make you shots. feel icky and bloated, don't they? Well, like they're like butt shots, so you mm-hmm. can't do them yourself. So mm-hmm. you always have to find someone to like come and give you a butt shot. Mm-hmm. And they have to be, you know, every morning at the same time and whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had some butt buddies, I call them. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Like, yeah. Come be my butt buddy. <laughs> Literally because, uh, I mean, Kyle is in the National Guard too, so he would be like gone. Randomly gone. He was actually gone for two and a half weeks during the progesterone shot episode. <laughs> and so I have a friend who lives really nearby and she's a pharmacist. Oh, there you go. So she came over and yeah. did some. And then my sister's a nurse, so she did some. And then my mom's a vet, so when I was home, she did some. <laughs> so, like, nobody have... that's afraid of needles. No, nobody that was go. afraid of needles. And yeah, it was, um, I don't know, sometimes they didn't hurt at all, and then sometimes they just, like, stung for hours, so. And some people get, like, really bad bruising, which I really didn't, but it's yeah. probably, like, the worst part is just doing that every day. Every single day. Yeah. I think I would barf. And actually, at the very end, when I was, like, only had one week left, I started having reactions to them, and my doctor let me quit one week early, and I was so happy. Yay! <laughs> But when you find out you're pregnant with the blood test, then you have to keep going in every other day to see it doubling. Mm-hmm. And so, so, like beta, right? Is that what they call it? Uh, I don't know if that's what they call it. Oh, well, there's like the... I can't remember. I followed this one girl on TikTok that did IVF a lot of times. And it was always like first beta, which would be your, what, HCG level. Yeah. And the second beta would have to be like doubled. Oh, okay. So that's what they called it. Huh interesting yeah me and my knowledge you know more about it than I do (laughs) no I do not okay so I'm gonna kind of like fast forward a little bit 
Sure. Just because, like, you had a pretty uneventful actual pregnancy. Yeah, easiest pregnancy ever. Which, which you, you deserved it. I think I deserved it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think I really did. And I'll kind of, um, there's a lot of things I feel like I already know, so I will probably just not ask them because I already know them. Yeah. But let's fun. kind of go into, like, final weeks of pregnancy and kind of, like, thinking in your head, what you wanted this delivery to look like <laughs> and I'm laughing because you know sometimes you just have to laugh away the, the pain <laughs> the pain the trauma the trauma uh, and yeah. then kind of like go into um how everything unfolded and I'll yeah. I'll add in things too because if you guys don't know I was Jana's doula yeah for her birth <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes that's perfect so one thing I will just add, because I think it's really funny, is that um, right around that October time when I got pregnant, Sophie announced that she was becoming a doula. <laughs> and so it's, it's super funny to me because at the time, I don't even think I could have told you what really a doula was. <laughs> like I knew generally. Yeah. <laughs> but I just like... I saw I so for back context I um worked I've worked a lot of weddings with Sophie because mm -hmm. she's a photographer and I'm the videographer and we just have always gotten along so well and I always just admired like how calm she was and like kind of this like thing to differ. Uh, <laughs> you are at weddings though <laughs> I feel like I am in any other situation that doesn't pertain to me yeah it's easy to be calm for other people for other people yeah. it's fine yeah yeah so I just knew like Sophie had a great support personality is what I'll say. And I knew that I know nothing about birth. Kyle knows nothing about birth. Mm -hmm. We should have someone there who's like an advocate for us. Mm -hmm. And so I messaged Sophie pretty much right away. Sophie probably knew we were pregnant before most people. Yeah, probably. Like we could go back and look when I messaged you. But yeah. it was like right away. Like and I we remember just... being like, have you told Julia? Because I had some weddings with her. And when you did tell me you told her, I was like, Julia, Jana. Like, I was like, this secret is eating me alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just think it's so funny. Like, I don't think I would have had a doula if I wouldn't have seen mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. were doing it. Because <laughs> well, I was just like, I want Sophie. <laughs> go me. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just think that's so funny. Um, but... As we get into the labor, thank God I had a doula. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a tough one for sure. We'll, we'll, we'll touch on that a lot. <laughs> anyway, um, but yeah, like in the, in the final weeks, just like preparing, you know, as a new mother, a lot of things are going through your head. You know, you're just like excited, mm -hmm. terrified. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> And actually, I was, like, having, like, sometimes I would get, like, pretty bad bouts of anxiety about mm -hmm. it. And then I would, you know, talk to Sophie, and she'd talk me down. <laughs> well, you'd always be like, I just had to quit listening to podcasts because it was making me anxious. I'm like, that's fine. You don't have to listen to them. <laughs> no, but I remember there was, like, one really bad one. And I remember I was just, like, I think it was about, like, I think I was like scared of not having control mm -hmm. because sometimes you just hear these like stories of providers not like necessarily listening not to giving a choice. Yeah, or not giving a choice mm -hmm. to someone when they're, you know, in that scenario. 
or I don't know, you just sometimes hear like with, you know, Eastern or what is it? Western medicine, middle, middle, no. modern medicine. Yeah, what do they call it? The MDs. The West, the modern Western birth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you just, there's like sort of this stigma around it that, you know, they maybe aren't there to like your best listen yeah. to what you want if you do want to try more natural things or mm -hmm. I don't know. So I think I was just like kind of scared. And then with my, just like with how everything played out with that first surgery, I think I just had like some of that mm -hmm. almost like PTSD in a way of like mm -hmm. being scared of, you know, Recovery, like I listen, yeah, feeling, yeah, afterwards, mm -hmm. yeah, and then like also just because of my journey, I know I knew that, you know, sometimes like some of those natural things do work really well, mm -hmm. and I kind of like a blend of both, but yeah, so I was just I was just really scared about not being in control, mm -hmm. and so that was something I think we talked about, and then I think on my birth plan that was like the mantra you mm -hmm. put at the top was something about being in control I should know. i look it up you keep talking uh, i'll look it up i have it in the drawer over there but anyway um and so and then you know as i was like praying about the birth plan like one of the things i mean surrender is like a huge thing mm -hmm. when you are preparing for birth because if you do any research like you're supposed to kind of like surrender to the contractions mm -hmm. and not fight them and that was something we talked about and it was something that I was like, okay, so like surrender is like a big word to be mm -hmm. like, okay, surrendering to the process and like, mm -hmm. you know, just wherever it takes you kind of mm -hmm. go with it, <laughs> not fighting it, I guess. Mm -hmm. And, and that was all, like, I looked up a lot on like mindset for birth, mm -hmm. which I feel like is huge. Like mm -hmm. if anyone listening is going to give birth, like definitely do a lot of research into like how your mindset can help you in birth mm -hmm. because it is like truly like one of the best tools I think that we kind of underutilize. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I probably truly didn't know how powerful it was until getting into the, the labor. <laughs> and then, um, and then the other word that I felt like that God gave me was gratitude. And I think just like gratitude that we got to do this. Dan's going to cry again. <laughs> no, don't start. <laughs> no. And like, it, it is emotional because, you know, like when you go, when you have infertility for like three years, you just, you have no idea if you're ever going to be able to like experience pregnancy or experience labor or any of that stuff. So I feel like that was like really huge for us was just like, we were just like so grateful to have made it full term with a healthy baby. Mm -hmm. And so... And that was like the big thing for us too. We just were like, if we, like at the end of this, like no matter what happens, we literally just want a healthy baby and like for me to be healthy. Mm -hmm. And that was like, that was like all I wanted for my birth plan. <laughs> <laughs> and Sophie's like, no, you actually have to like plan other yeah, things too. Like, what do you want? And you're like, I just want to have a baby. And I'm like, but like, what do you, like, how do you want to have this baby? <laughs> Yeah, I had to do a little more research. I had to dig at you just a little bit to yeah. help, help you figure out what you wanted to do. Yeah. But as you found out, it's a good thing we had plan A, B, and C. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, so kind of jumping to the labor. Because of IVF, uh, they don't want you going past your due date. 
Mm-hmm. And so they wanted to induce me at 40 weeks. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, of course, kind of did everything to try to we get the baby to come. <laughs> <laughs> but alas, none of them worked. Longest week of my life. <laughs> Just yeah. waiting. And at my last appointment before, um, I was two centimeters dilated and 80% effaced. Mm -hmm. And so I did have a lot of hope that like, Mm -hmm. oh, maybe I could go into labor. And then it seemed like every night I would get this like little bout of like having some little like practice contractions. And Mm -hmm. so I'd text Sophie and get her hopes up. And then then at like 11 p.m. every night, they would stop. And I'd be like, oh, okay, I'm going to go to bed then. And so that was kind of the whole week leading up to it. So I was hopeful, even with the induction, that... I think we all were. Things had started, you know? I was like... We're like, this is great. You know, as somebody who, like, does a lot of research and reading and listening, and I've engulfed myself in birth, like, you're always told, like, don't base, like, progress off of, like, centimeters and blah, 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 blah. And that is true, but there's also something to be said about like you not being closed. Yeah. And so like in my Starting. mind, I was kind of just like, well, her body's getting ready. Like it's kind of doing its thing. Like, I think we all were a little hopeful that like maybe you just needed a kickstart and like things would go. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. That, that hope it, it dwindled. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And so they actually let me pick my induction date. So um, I picked that Friday, the, it was June 9th. Um, and so what they do, so you call in that morning. So I woke up at five and called in and I was half expecting to get bumped because uh-huh. they always do that, I feel uh-huh. like. But they were like, nope, come on in. So we went in at seven and then at 8.23, they had started me on the Pitocin drip. Uh-huh. And... I had asked him, you know, about like some cervical ripeners or some things, but he was like, since you're already a two and you're already pretty soft, Mm -hmm. like you're already kind of past that. So it Mm -hmm. makes sense just to start Pitocin. And one thing that I thought was really funny was um, this doctor that we had. (laughs) Who was not your doctor. No, not my, not my OB, a different one. Um, He was like, so induction today, do you want to do this? And I was like, what? I still think about it. I still think about it all the time. <laughs> and it just like threw me off so much that right. he asked me that. Mm-hmm. And it was also like really a nice thing. But I was like, okay, I'm already here with my IV and and <laughs> I don't right. think I have a choice. But but he's like, no, you have a choice. Like, do you want to do this today or do you want to come back another day? And I was like, well, we're already here. Let's do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, it was a pretty uneventful day I would say um Sophie was gonna kind of wait but she just was too excited so (laughs) she showed up like what nine yeah it's probably nine or ten but I (laughs) I just like worked for a while in the hallway because I had some editing and stuff to do and yeah and listen to the nurses talk (laughs) oh gosh I listened to a lot of nurse gossip (sighs) for sure in reflection maybe I should have stayed in bed a little longer (laughs) but you know what you never know though you never know it's my Mm. saying you never know yeah so um but yeah sophie was great she had us like kind of walk in the halls and doing all the positions and doing all the things and just like trying to get this labor going so we were kind of nudging up the pitocin all day we were kind of trying to be like slow about it i think because 
in our heads um, we thought maybe it would just start yeah we kind of were like we're already going here so um and one thing i will say so like all the doctors and nurses were i think really great mm -hmm. with like the doula thing mm -hmm. and they also like when we handed them our birth plan they were like they sat and read it mm -hmm. and like asked questions about it i thought and Mm -hmm. so to me that was like very reassuring yeah to be like oh yeah. they actually are well, giving me time of day with this stuff one of the nurses had said too that she was like well if you weren't here I'd be in there switching her and making her walk around and I was like oh so I'm just making your job easy I guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's true so yeah so um yeah so a pretty uneventful day went through the day I think the next thing I remember being an event oh and we should touch on the eating so I think we should touch on the fact that you literally tracked every single walk that we did on your apple watch that's true she walked so, like what six miles uh yeah five miles five miles because she tracked every single walk around the hospital <laughs> yeah on our apple watches yeah and so yeah so that was kind of interesting to have that stat to be like, wow, we literally walked five miles <laughs> trying to get this labor going. But yeah, Jana was very anxious about not being able to eat in labor. And <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. I, I look back at that first day and it was honestly just kind of like fun. Like the first it day was. was fun. It was like so fun. Nothing serious was happening, which was also frustrating at the same time because we were like, why are these not hurting you? Like we were just like, why is this not hurting? But yeah, it was like, Jana would go for a walk and she'd be like, well, it's time for a snack. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that was something, you know, that kind of something I felt very passionate about, shall we say, <laughs> because I, I, you know, I'm a snacky gal and uh, yeah, it's just, I get really hungry and hangry and I'm like, how am I supposed to go through this marathon birth with like no food in my yeah. belly? And nurses did make comments about not eating anything, and we still fed her. Yeah, we just kind of did it on the sly. Yeah. So that's fine. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> You're fine. Yeah, I did actually do quite a bit of research on it. Mm -hmm. And um, the U.S., I think, is the only country, There's modern like a, country, that... Yeah, it's based on, um, like, very old practices when people would get put under general anesthesia. Like from like the 40s or 50s like is basically yeah. what it's from so yeah it's just very outdated protocol yeah. so i i felt very comfortable with the risk mm -hmm. versus the reward <laughs> yeah <laughs> so like i was good with it and the risk is like one in a million yeah under it, general yeah like not even in like most if you do have a c-section most of the time it happens under an epidural or a spinal very rarely does it happen under a general and if it does happen under general, it's like a one in a million chance you'd aspirate. Right. So, so I, felt, I felt comfortable eating. And so I ate a lot and it was great. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness I did. <laughs> yeah. Until you started barfing. Yeah. The yeah. barfing. So I think. 1045 so, was when. The water. No. Yeah. So, so it was, um, we had gone all day. And they checked me, and I was a three. Mm -hmm. And I was pretty devastated, honestly. Mm -hmm. I remember, like, so they were like, okay, well, we could break your water, mm -hmm. or your Pitocin receptors might be flooded. We mm -hmm. could back it down mm -hmm. and bring it back up. Mm -hmm. 
So then we were trying to decide, and I remember I was like crying because I was tired and it was bedtime, and uh-huh. <laughs> we were nowhere near having this baby. Uh-huh. So um, we decided I, I really didn't want to be put on a clock uh-huh. with because sometimes with breaking water they will say in 24 hours you have to have a C-section uh-huh. if you haven't had the baby yet, and I just I didn't want to be forced into that. So I said, okay, well let's back up the Pitocin. Uh-huh. So we did that. At 1 a.m., they checked me again, and no progress at all. Uh And so that was when I said, okay, let's break the water. Uh And um, once they did that, um, that was when, like, things started feeling more intense because Uh you kind of lose that cushion. Uh And so we went into the night, and that – the bath. Yeah, around that time was when – I started not being able to keep any food down uh-huh. and like throwing up. Uh-huh. And so I finally, I was so excited about the jacuzzis. And so I finally got I to... wouldn't let you go in it yeah. <laughs> until it hurt. Yeah. So Sophie finally let me go in the jacuzzi <laughs> and it was amazing. So uh-huh. I stayed in there for like quite a while. Yeah. You were in there for probably a couple hours, a couple hours in and out. Yeah. Kind of like in the jacuzzi or the shower and then. At that point, you had kind of decided you wanted your epidural because you were just tired. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, it got to, it was around, I think, like five in the morning. And Kyle and Sophie had kind of been taking shifts with me in the tub. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, it was in between like three and five. Yeah. It's all a little, a little blurry. Yeah. <laughs> so team was kind of down bad. I was kind of down bad. Uh, <laughs> and so... I was like, I remember being like, I'm not getting out of this tub until my epidural's ordered because mm-hmm. I didn't want to get out because the contractions were pretty painful at that point. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I don't want to get out and wait an hour for them to show up. I want them to be like on their way when I get out of this tub. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so we got out. They gave me my epidural at five. And yeah, we were just all so exhausted. Um, so then Sophie got to go and have a little break and sleep I was like too keyed up to sleep at all Kyle I think had a cat nap yeah I went home or I went to Tommy's and I slept because I remember you getting your epidural and I was like so tired that I thought I was gonna barf tired yeah because I was watching it too and I was like I am gonna ralph and then as soon as you got it and you felt it, I was like, okay, I'm going to go. Like, I just remember feeling like, I feel like I did not say anything and I just left. <laughs> no, I was, I was like, please leave. You need a rest. Mm-hmm. So, no, it, it was, um, yeah, we kind of just had like those two hours to kind of rest. And I, did they turn my Pitocin off? Yes. They turned, well, okay. I think we're a, a little bit mixed up a tiny bit because I want to say, when they turned it down the first time, I left. And then Kyle called me. And oh. he was like, Ugh, you, came back. Up you can come back. So I came back and that was like in the middle of the night. Because I remember having to come back yeah, to the that's ER. True. And it was like Saturday or Friday night at the ER. was Oh, scary. I forgot about that. And so then I came back and that's when we put you in the tub. Because I think yeah. that's like right. I think you got your waters broke and then it started hurting and you went in the tub. Yep. And then, like, a couple hours later is when you decided to get the epidural. Right. So then you got it, and I left again because... Exhausted. And I want to say, at, 
that point, they didn't turn your Pitocin back down because they had turned it down earlier. Like they had turned it down when yeah. I left the first time. You're right. Yeah. So then they turned it back up when they broke your water. Mm-hmm. And that's when it really started hurting again. Yeah. So, so you got your epidural. I went home. Mm-hmm. And I think I came back at like 10 or 11 in the morning because mm-hmm. I slept and then I went and saw sore. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. So for reference, my Pitocin had been at 20 yeah, the majority like of the day most, before. Like most recommended Pitocin levels is like 0 to 20. Yep. So then at that point, they were going to turn it down again. Yeah. By the time I came back. Yeah, so at 7.30, um, it had been 24 hours, Mm -hmm. shift change, new doctor, Mm -hmm. um, and new nurses, and uh, Kyle and I were so exhausted. We're like, we're sitting there, we're both just like bawling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think we all were. (laughs) And I remember like the nurses, like the new nurses coming in and introducing themselves, and like the tears are just like rolling down my face, and... It was just, yeah, it was so rough getting to that 24-hour mark. Mm-hmm. And I think they had checked me, and I was, like, a four. Mm-hmm. So we'd gone through, like, that whole night and made no progress, basically, like, one yeah. centimeter of progress. Yeah. It was, yeah, pretty devastating again. And so, and that was, I think, where, like, having that that mindset of gratitude was really helpful because Kyle and I kind of, like, stopped and, like, you know, said what we were thankful for and kind of like refocused our thoughts on the big picture and like you know all that and that helped mm-hmm. a lot too I think just to be like okay this sucks but here we yeah. are this is what we're thankful for we're thankful we get to do this and even with like all the pain and like the contractions and everything I was also just like listening to music and like just like thanking God also just like I'm so thankful that you know I get to like experience birth because it's like it's pretty cool actually Mm -hmm. to experience Mm -hmm. um and so anyway um then the new doctor they wanted to put in like a pressure catheter in my uterus Mm. to find out why we weren't progressing Mm -hmm. and so they did that and then they also put a monitor on her head Mm -hmm. um another catheter so at this point I had like three catheters urinary catheter she had a lot of wires yeah it was a lot of work to like move me at all it was and it was annoying you had an epidural so you had an epidural blood pressure cuff blood pressure your IV your catheter and then her monitors yeah because she she was moving too much and the nurses couldn't keep her on the fetal monitor yeah she was very very healthy the whole time Yes. And that was another thing that we were really, I was super thankful for Mm -hmm. that I, you know, there was no anxiety over her. Like her heart rate was great the Mm -hmm. whole time. She was never in distress. And Mm -hmm. I think that was pretty huge. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah. Just for, yeah, feeling good about it. Yeah. Peace of mind. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and I remember when the nurse put the catheter on her head, um, it had been, so she checked me and she was like, you're a five. And your baby has lots of hair. And I was so excited. Like that was probably, yeah, it was like one of the, probably the highest moments of the whole labor Mm -hmm. where I was just like, oh, I'm so excited. Mm -hmm. And so it was like, okay, progress. This is great. And um, 
So they determined from the pressure catheter that my contractions were not strong enough. Mm -hmm. And so the doctor was like, listen, I feel comfortable going above 20 with the Pitocin. We got to get things rolling here. Mm -hmm. So up we went. (laughs) Up we went. And so it was fine until about like 2.30 in the afternoon. Um, I actually kind of felt when I was moving, changing positions or something, I actually felt my epidural kind of slip out. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden I was like, hmm, I can feel my legs. <laughs> Why can I feel my legs? <laughs> and so then I was, we kind of actually, I think they came and tried at least three different times mm-hmm. to do, to redo it or mm-hmm. do a bolus or whatever, mm-hmm. but it had come out. And it was like filled with blood. You could oh, was see it? that. Oh, I didn't know it that. It was. And I was like, you know, when things start like worrying me, I'm not going to say it out loud. You're like, you know, I'm not going to be like, Jenny, your epidural is full of blood. But yeah, at the time it was. And they were like, hmm, that looks strange. <laughs> no one's told me that. That's funny. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yeah. So then when the epidural quit working and we were doing Pitocin above 20, working our way up to 40, mm-hmm. that was, um, really tough like Mm -hmm. the contractions were every nine seconds i want to say minute or two yeah like pretty steady Mm -hmm. and yeah it was and then like they kept trying to redo the epidural and it just it didn't work it wouldn't work yeah you had two failed epidurals essentially (sighs) and then they the worst part about it i think was the fact that like you were so mobile and they were not letting you move because of it, which I understand there. It's like a trip, like a fall hazard. They didn't want you to like stand up and have your legs give out and fall down. But I was like, how terrible to be like locked to this bed because they think you have an epidural that's clearly not working. So you couldn't move. And then at some point you literally just stood up and went to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of getting over it at that point. And I think one point when I stood up and changed positions, they were like, you can't do that. And I was like, I can feel my legs. Yeah, you're like, like, I'm doing it. And I was like, well, she says it, not me. It's fine. (laughs) But I was like, I can literally feel everything right Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know what we forgot? When I got my epidural that morning, my blood pressure dropped. Oh, yeah, which is common. Which is common. Mm -hmm. And I started like that, like I was vomiting and then I was seeing like the dark tunnel. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to pass out. And then they gave me a shot and then I was fine but Mm -hmm. that was just another another thing thing. anyway um yeah so just that was the afternoon we were just kind of changing positions I think at 7 p.m is what I recall they did a check we went that whole day pretty much unmedicated yeah pretty much I would say from 2 30 to 7 was was totally unmedicated two on because you got another epidural at like five and it didn't work yeah, because I kept kind of asking them yeah. to redo it, and they kept trying, and it just... And it, it just, it, it never worked. Like, no, it, it never worked never after did. that. Yeah. And it was funny. I had one, like, little spot on my left leg that mm-hmm. was numb, and that was it. Mm-hmm. Like, nothing else was numb. Mm-hmm. I could feel everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and so it was, that was... Pretty tough. So we were holding on to hope. They checked me at 7 p.m., and by the way, like, this whole day, I... I couldn't even like keep liquids down. Mm-mm. Like when I would drink even water, I would just ralph it up. So mm-hmm. 
like yeah, it was voluntary too. It just like came. Yeah, it was just a pretty rough mm-hmm. day, really. Yeah. <laughs> so, 7 p.m. they checked me, and I was a seven. Yeah, it's like six. Well, it depends on who you asked. The nurse said seven, and the doctor was like, "Man, six. Yeah, yeah, it was. Like... <laughs> Which made me kind of mad. I remember. Mm-hmm. I was like, "What? Mm-hmm. I just worked all day for just one second. Just lie centimeter. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me I'm a ten. Yeah. So it was like. 7 p.m. we were nowhere near pushing we were exhausted Mm -hmm. and again and I think that afternoon it was while the epidural was still working because we were kind of coherent and I wasn't in a lot of pain Kyle and I had another powwow we had many of those (laughs) but it was just us two and we just like talked about are we okay with a c-section if it comes to it Mm -hmm. and Again, it was like one of those emotional times where we were just like, okay, like, what's our objective? It's like a healthy baby, healthy mom. So mm-hmm. if that's what it is, then that's fine, you know? And so I think at that point was when we accepted, like, if it could happen, if the C section needs to happen, we're okay with it. So mm-hmm. we'd already like talked about it and we already knew, like, okay. And I will say again, every time Kyle and Sophie and I had our powwows, like they were very supportive and like helped me mm-hmm. talk through it and helped me decide and all the doctors and nurses again, same thing. So, um, I think we decided let's go. I think I would have probably gone for the C-section at seven. I was really tired. <laughs> I told you, I was like, let's, let's do till nine. Yeah. And then well, we'll decide. Yeah. I think stuff started happening cause I was ready yes. to do the C-section. You were at ready seven. and you were starting to like feel pushy. Like yeah. you were like, my butthole hurts. Yeah. And, you, and I was like, okay, well, those are like good signs. Like if you're yeah. starting to feel stuff like that, like that could be transition. I, you know, you just, you can't tell unless I can literally look up your cervix with it. Right. So I was like, let's just give it another hour or two. And then if there's nothing by nine, you can have your C-section. Cause you were pretty in pain at this point. Like yeah. you were having a rough time. Yeah, and I think the hardest part about it was honestly the exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Like people, people go through that pain unmedicated, and I honestly like probably could have done it, you know, mm-hmm. if not for the fact that it was two days. Yeah, that we were like nearing yeah, hour thirty-two. Biggest, I remember your worry was getting to ten centimeters and not being able to push, and then having it be emergent. Right. That yeah. was your big worry. And you didn't want to go through the night again. Yeah. I didn't mm-hmm. want to face another night of mm-hmm. even more horrible, unmedicated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, yeah, they we did two more hours. And then at nine, I was like, can I be checked? And Sophie's like, just do another half hour. And then you're like, it's too soon. Let's do another half hour. And then you can be checked. Mm-hmm. So I was literally counting. I was like, okay, that's 15 contractions. Yep. So I would do one. I'd be like, okay. And then, like, that was, like, the only way I got through that last time. You're like, I'll make a deal with you. Yep. (laughs) You're getting kind of angry at this point. (laughs) I was. I was getting a little frustrated with it all. I just wanted to be done. Mm -hmm. And so, 9.30, the doctor checked me, and I was a seven. Mm -hmm. And it was, at that point, we already had made our decision. 
So we already knew. So I was like, turn the Pitocin off. <laughs> You're like, if, if I'm not progressed by this time, you turn it off immediately. That's literally what Yeah, I was like, I, I told the nurse, I was like, I don't want you wasting any time. You turn this off immediately because mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. so done with it. Mm-hmm. And so they did. And the interesting thing about that was I think I had like five more contractions after they turned it off. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't. So weird. So I wasn't even like my body never actually even took over on its own. It was all the pitocin, mm. which is crazy. It's just yeah. And a so lot of I could say about it. <laughs> so crazy. So then you know C-section. So they wanted to do a spinal, and um, it took them a while to get the spinal done. Mm-hmm. They um, I told, or they kept telling Kyle like, if we don't get it soon, we're gonna put her under. Mm-hmm. And, but they finally got it. They finally got it. So I was numb um, all the way to my, you know, up my belly. And then, like, why couldn't you do this earlier? <laughs> yeah, seriously. And so then they did the C-section, which was like five minutes long. Mm-hmm. And then they like lowered the curtain and showed her to us. And um, it was funny because when they were doing it, right before he did it all the nurses and doctors and Kyle and I were all saying how big we thought the baby was because mm-hmm. the doctor was like I think this is a really big baby mm-hmm. and so we were all guessing like seven eight pounds whatever um and when she was born and they weighed her they were yelling across the room all the stats you know and I could see her on the tv above me and um she was nine pounds two ounces <laughs> 21 inches long and her head was 14 and a half inches. So she Big was girl. like, she was like above, like, she was like 95th percentile for like all these things. <laughs> and we also found out that her head was turned, which they think is why she mm-hmm. hadn't really gone through the cervix at all. Mm-hmm. And so another factor of why labor had not progressed really. And I mean, there's all the shit that could have, would have, could have done this, could have done that. Would you have had her eventually? Yeah, probably. But it's like, how long? Yeah. And like, yeah. it's all this, the things. It's like, <laughs> you did everything you could have done. Yeah. Literally everything. Yeah. And I think that was a good feeling going into the C-section was knowing like we did it all. Everything. Yep. Every position, <laughs> upside down, walking, yeah. right side up, one leg up, one leg back. Yeah, no, we, we literally, like, tried everything and did, like, we tried our absolute hardest, and I made every single decision that I wanted to mm-hmm. make, and, um, yeah, that's just what it was, and so, but I think that was good, knowing, like, we have tried everything, and it was also my choice to do the C-section, like, it mm-hmm. wasn't emergent, really, it mm-hmm. was just, that's where we were. So now, like, what, five weeks later, how do you feel when you like reflect or like think back on your birth yeah it's it's been so long I think immediately like in the hospital the next day Kyle was asking me like do you feel like it was a traumatic thing and um I I guess I was like I don't think it I don't feel like it was traumatic because of how in control I felt the whole time Mm -hmm. and I just had this like very real sense of peace and I think that was just like it was like a spiritual thing. It was uh, like a primal thing because mm-hmm. you're in labor and it's like, and then it was like also like just like the gratitude of, I can't believe I get to like experience this. Experience it. Yeah. Um, 
we should touch a little bit on what happened oh at yeah, the yeah, yeah. Section. yeah so that was one scary thing that <laughs> was a bit traumatic yeah so after the c-section um i was losing a lot of blood and they normally give pitocin to contract the uterus but <laughs> after two days of being on pitocin obviously giving me pitocin was not going to do a it, thing it didn't work <laughs> also my uterus was probably so tired mm -hmm. poor thing anyway poor thing so we were just like okay so we um did they gave me this methogen and apparently my body does not like methogen <laughs> yeah i don't even know what the heck that is but it didn't go well for you it's supposed to stop the bleeding and so my blood pressure spiked to uh 235 233 over 200 and it was it was that at that for 15 minutes and for the and i remember like they were so calm you know and kyle was off he was with emma mm -hmm. our daughter and he was supposed to do skin to skin which he actually forgot to do but that's <laughs> fine it was it was kind of a crazy time but um yeah he was off so it was just me and they were kind of talking to me and I could tell like stuff was going on, but they were so calm, but they were just like, okay, so you lost some blood. We gave you some medicine. You're now your blood pressure's high. We're trying to bring it down. I had the shakes really bad. Mm -hmm. So they had to hold my arms down to get blood pressure readings. Mm -hmm. And then I had blood pressure cups in both my arms. But anyway, I think that was the worst part about the whole experience was that part. Yeah. That was the scariest. And part. like you having to like wait too. Yeah, because so I was down there quite a while because they were trying to get my blood pressure down. And for anyone, and I remember glancing up and seeing that number and being like, is that my blood pressure? Because <laughs> those are very high numbers. But also I didn't know like what that actually meant medically. Mm -hmm. And so then I, um, yeah, I, I was like, okay, looked at it, you know, but you're so out of it too. I was so exhausted. So tired, so out of it. Yeah, so... So they were just like very calm and, but they were talking to me and they're like, you might have to spend the night in the ICU. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I think I said to them, I was like, how will I feed my baby? Cause mm -hmm. they were saying like her and Kyle would be up in the, you know, recovery, recovery and I would be down in the ICU. And I was like, I don't want to be separated from them. I mm -hmm. want to spend the night, you know, with them. Mm -hmm. And, but I think that in my mind took something where I was like, this must be pretty serious. I've never heard of anyone spending mm -hmm. time in the ICU after, you know, their C-section or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I knew it was bad, but I didn't know how bad at the mo in the moment, which is probably good. <laughs> right. And Kyle had no idea. They didn't tell him. I don't think any of us knew really until like the next day. Yeah. We, yeah. And even like the gravity of it, I didn't understand until when we were in the hospital the next few days, all different anesthesiologists and providers and all these nurses were coming in and talking to us about what had happened and mm -hmm. they just couldn't believe that I had gone through that so they got my blood pressure down and like the amazing thing was that once it came down it didn't drop below mm -hmm. normal just and that's good. like the scary part is when it drops below normal um because they're giving you all this medicine to bring it down because it's so dangerous to be so high because you can like stroke out once it drops below normal that's when you stroke out mm -hmm. and so that's what they were really worried about and so they were trying to bring it down but also didn't want it to go down below and they kept asking me they're like do you have a headache do you have a headache and I'm like no I'm fine you know like I did truly feel as good as 
one could like, feel. I just had a baby, no more contractions, <laughs> great. No more Pitocin, great. <laughs> yeah, like I was like, I feel great, honestly. Yeah. Besides the shakes, I was a yeah. little like, oh, the shakes were rough. But yeah, I was like, no, I feel good. And even like the anesthesiologist talking to me later, she was like, you looked so fresh mm-hmm. the whole time. She was like, you never looked like you were in distress at all. Mm-hmm. And you just looked like healthy and mm-hmm. And you're like, she was like, we just kept looking at you and just, you just like, were so like strong and healthy. And like, she was like, it was just like so crazy Mm -hmm. to watch it all. I think she must have had her doubts a little bit about going into it though, because the one anesthesiologist was like, yeah, it's fine if you come in, because I wasn't able to go in, but like the one guy was going to let me. And then the other girl yeah she told me that it was because of covid which is a big fat lie i'm like just tell me that you don't want me in there it's fine yeah but i kind of wonder if like they kind of were just apprehensive things your like reactions to every other medication were working right yeah no that makes sense and they almost having to put me out and the epidurals not working like i wonder if in the back of her head she was scared that you were gonna have to be put under oh i think so yeah and so it was like once everything got fixed they brought me up to recovery i got to do skin to skin with emma i got to breastfeed her like and it was all just like normal and fine mm-hmm. and then they slowly like took away all my wires and tubes like, like one by one because so nice. i had so many on me you know <laughs> and then sophie came in and you know it was like yeah. it went from like this hurricane to like normal mm-hmm. and it was i don't know it was honestly just like a miracle because it could have ended like so much worse, I feel like, mm-hmm. you know. Well, okay, so normally I would go into postpartum now on the yeah. podcast, but we're going to have to wrap it up. Yeah, I don't know. Because like fine. we're really long and I also have to go pick up my child. Yes. But I kind of want you to just kind of at the very end of this, like for anybody listening that's maybe having some issues that you've had or might be dealing with like a birth that you've had like what are some things that you would say to somebody um going through what you've went through or words of wisdom (laughs) words of wisdom from Jana. (laughs) oh man um like i think that just having that it's like i I would almost call it a growth mindset a little bit Mm -hmm. or like flexible thinking Mm -hmm. Um, common sense yeah (laughs) but like you have a birth plan but it's not because you need to stick to it it's because just to let the doctors and nurses know these are my desires if we can make them happen Mm -hmm. you know it's just a way of communicating really Mm -hmm. but the birth plan is something you know that you just kind of have to hold loosely (laughs) you work towards it but there's always avenues to go down yeah um i think And something that, like, afterwards, like, that we took with us was, like, you know, just keeping on with, like, saying our gratitudes, like, multiple times a day Mm -hmm. and just being, like, this is what I'm thankful for right now. And when you focus on what you're thankful for, um, it actually, like, tethers you to the present Mm -hmm. and helps you, like, step back from your situation because we get in our heads and we get, like, catastrophic thinking (laughs) or you're just like or all or nothing thinking where you're just like oh my gosh like I this is so horrible and Mm -hmm. that's a little bit of postpartum like you you can your brain can start going and it's tough and um side note Kyle is a therapist (laughs) yeah that's why I know all these things yeah (laughs) but 
yeah, having gratitude tethers you to the present. And so if you can stop when you're feeling, when you realize you're going down that rabbit trail of like my thoughts are spinning and I'm starting to spiral, you know, and you can just stop and like audibly like be like, okay, I'm thankful for this, this, this right now. It actually like keeps you, anxiety is like the future. You're like getting way too far in the future when you're anxious because you're Mm -hmm. thinking like so far ahead and you don't need to. And then depression is like in the past, you're thinking about all these Mm -hmm. things. And it's like, you don't also need to be there either. You need to be like in the present, in Mm -hmm. the moment. And so that was just like a huge thing that I learned from all of it. I'm learning that. (laughs) I feel like I've learned so many things from Jana. Just, I mean, I'm sorry you had to be the guinea pig of me learning (laughs) things. But just in general, like Jana's just been such a, I don't even know what the word is, just positive through everything that you went through. I feel like when I look at myself and when I look at you, if I would have gone through what you went through, I'd be so bitter. Mm. And you were just like so grateful for the experience afterwards. And that's something to yeah, learn from others. Yeah. And it's, it's perspective, right? It's just like realizing like one person might feel like gypped, you know, and another person be like, I'm just so grateful that I got a healthy baby. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, but yeah, that's a huge piece of it. And then really, like, if you can, like, having someone to talk to, like, just kind of on call 24-7 <laughs> to check in with you is just so huge. You can and, text me anytime and I will respond with any sort of sarcasm <laughs> that you need. And, and for me, it was definitely, like, Kyle, my therapist husband. And, you know, he was in it with me, too, though. Mm-hmm. But then it was so nice to have, like, Sophie. Cause she was, like, texting me, you know, all hours. How are you doing? How are you doing? You know, and having like that someone who's like not in it with you who can be like, yep, that's normal or, mm-hmm. you know, after the fact, you know, but I don't know, like debriefing and after you go through something like that, like being able to like talk to people about it is pretty huge. Here we are. And process it, you know? Yeah. And yeah. So I feel like those are things that can really help you. And I don't know, you kind of just like making that peace with it because mm-hmm. you kind of have to do that mm-hmm. if you're, I don't know, because it is really hard because we don't get a choice always. And mm-hmm. we don't like that's not the labor I would have chosen or mm-hmm. the birth if mm-hmm. I could have had a it's choice. Not what we planned for. <laughs> it's not plan A or even B. No, but it was plan C. Yeah. And it was on there. And yeah, so I mean it's very real to like feel those feelings of like being gypped and mm-hmm. anger, like, I don't know, whatever you're feeling. Deadliness. If you, yeah. Like for that, you didn't get to experience birth the way you wanted to, mm-hmm. but if you can like process it with someone and you can like remember what you're is. grateful for. And yeah. And now you, she's waking up just right on cue. <laughs> yep. Perfect. Right so on anyway. cue. But okay. Yeah. I am going to wrap this up because mm-hmm. Jana and I can talk for hours. We can. Literally, what? How many hours? 38? 38, <laughs> 38, 38 hours. hours of hanging out. Of hanging out. We can talk um, forever. So yes. I'm just going to say thank you for joining and sharing your story. And maybe one day we'll have a part two postpartum <laughs> for Jenna. Part five. <laughs> mm.